My name is Kip Richman, and I am one of the elders here. As you know, we have been uh, talking about what it means to be devoted. That's been our theme for this year. And we have, over the last few weeks, talked about what it means to be devoted to prayer. And Jarrett has been doing an excellent job of dissecting uh, the Lord's Prayer. And he's asked me to give my two cents. Because Jarrett knows this about me, and that is that I have been a man of prayer for over 40 years. I believe in the power of prayer, the power to move molecules. The, pro the power of prayer can change DNA and chromosomes and bring about healing in people. The power of prayer to nudge and to morph the future into a preferred reality called the kingdom of God. But I believe in the power of prayer is the touch point that I have in my relationship with God Almighty. And to me, that is a precious thing. Uh, I do not consider prayer to be an obligation or a burden. Uh, I don't uh, consider it to be boring or drudgery. Uh, in fact, I don't even think of prayer anymore as an activity that's separate from my relationship with the Lord. It is, in fact, an extension of my relationship with the Lord. The same way that uh, conversation and intimacy with my wife is an extension of our marriage. And uh, so this morning, what I would like to do is, is I would like to share with you the key component when it comes to prayer. And I, I tell you that if you get this right, if you can get this screwed into your heart and between uh, the, the gray cells, uh, between your ears, I tell you, it will go a long way to revolutionizing how you approach prayer. So as we've been uh, doing every week, could you all stand so that we can uh, uh, say the Lord's Prayer together? We're going to recite it, and it's the King James Version uh, out of Matthew chapter 6. Ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, last week, <clears throat> my wife and I, we were out at uh, the Outer Banks vacationing and we were with some family. And uh, uh, my brother-in-law came to me, and he said, hey, how would you like to uh, go golfing tomorrow morning? And I said, oh, I would love to, but I left my clubs uh, at home. And he said, no, no, I'm talking about disc golfing. And I go, disc golfing? I said, what's that? He said, you know, you throw disc. I said, you mean Frisbees? He goes, no, discs. And I said, but Frisbees, right? And he goes, no, discs. And I said, OK, I get it. Let's go disc golfing. And uh, I will tell you that when I went out the next morning, I brought some assumptions uh, to the event. And the main assumption was this, that I thought I knew how to throw a Frisbee. And I did not. Now, all of us in this room, right, have thrown a Frisbee. But I noticed a stark difference between my brother-in-law and myself. 
when he went to throw his disc, uh, it was flat, it was straight, it went far, and it landed where he wanted it to go. When I went to throw my disc, it would fly this way, it flew that way, and I found that for the first five holes, I was mostly out in the woods trying to find the darn thing. And I can remember you know, coming back and after my, my brother-in-law stopped busting a gut, laughing over my inadequacies, I, I said to him, could you help me out here? Could you show me some th techniques? And he said, sure. He said, now this is what you do. You know, he took the disc. He said, this is how you hold it. This is where your thumb goes. This is how you stand when you're pointing. This is where your arm is. This is the trajectory that you throw. This is how you release. And I realized I never knew how to I thought I knew how to throw this thing. But now I was learning a brand new technique. Uh, my assumptions got tweaked. And I realized that that can happen in our Christian walk. That a lot of times what has to happen is our, we bring some assumptions into our Christian walk. And they need to be tweaked so that we can better serve the Lord. For example, for many of us, when we first come to the Lord, it is a get-out-of-hell-free card. Or the flip side of that is a get-into-heaven free card, right? Whereby we get to live forever in paradise. You hear a sermon on something like that and you say, I'll take that. I like that. However, here's where some tweaking needs to happen. As great as those things are, escaping hell and getting into heaven for paradise, that is not the gospel message. Do you realize that? Those things are not at the core of the gospel. Those things are side benefits to the real gospel message. What is the core message of the gospel? It is this. Now listen very closely, because everything we talk about concerning prayer from here on in depends on this. The core message of the gospel is a restored relationship with God the Father. That is why Jesus came. Everything's been off since Adam and Eve. They sinned. We inherited their blood. And all through the millennia, we have had this broken, severed relationship with God Almighty. And then Jesus comes along to restore this relationship. In fact, when it comes to putting definition to the term eternal life, we have it by no less authority than Jesus himself. In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 3, he says these words, This is eternal life. Now, stop for a second. When the Son of God begins to put definition to eternal life, I don't know about you, but I, I put on my ears. I want to hear what he's going to say next. And these are his next words. This is eternal life, that you, that they may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Now notice, in that definition of eternal life, there's, Jesus doesn't mention time at all. He doesn't mention paradise at all. What does he mention? He mentions relationship. This is eternal life, that you get to know the Father and him whom he has sent, 
his son Jesus. And that is the basis, the core root of the gospel. Now, Paul, writing to the Colossian church, he, he, he writes the, a nice synopsis of this perfectly in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 19. He says this, For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled, now there's your restoration right there, God, through Christ, brought restoration, reconciled, uh, uh, everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. And how did he do that? By the means of Christ's blood on the cross. Christ's blood on the cross. Uh, we, this is, I want you to underscore those words because we will be coming back to that uh, throughout uh, the, the message this morning because uh, this here, this here is critical for us to understand as we begin to approach God in prayer. Now, then uh, um, Paul goes on to say this. He says, this includes you, you and me, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Okay, now he's describing how you once were. This is the Adam part of us. We are in Adam, and we are, in one sense, enemies of God. Broken. And then he goes on to say, yet, oh, I love the word, little word, yet. Yet now he has reconciled, and again, there's that restoration part, reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. There is the restoration part again. And, that, and then he says these things. And listen to this next verse, because it is mind-blowing. He says this, As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless and without fault. You stand before him without fault. What? What? Okay, by a raise of a hand, who here right now feels holy? Anybody? Do you feel holy? How about blameless? Do you feel blameless this morning? How about without fault? Anybody? Anybody without? I'll tell you, I have to pull my hand down because if my wife were here, she could come up with a list and she could list my faults. But what is he saying? He's saying, okay, there's two, different, there's two different existences. We are bifurcated people in this sense. We have the Adam Kip, the one who is, uh, who is a nitwit, who thinks uh, wrong things, who speaks wrong things, who does wrong things. And, we, and I know, and I know that I know that I'm in violation of God's perfect will. The sinful Kip, the natural flesh kip. But when we come into Christ, we all of a sudden step into this new identity. And when I come under the umbrella of the blood of Jesus Christ, suddenly God looks down and he, and he sees it through the filter. I'm suddenly holy and blameless and without fault. Oh. 
And how is this accomplished? By the means of Christ's blood on the cross. He, uh, Paul writes in uh, uh, the, of Ephesians, he says pretty much the same thing, but he says it this way. He says, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away, but now you have been brought near to him. In the verse that we were looking at in Colossians before, Paul takes two things. He talks about reconciliation, our restoration of our relationship. And he says it's by the means of the blood, but then he goes, uh, and if, if we could look at this uh, uh, verse one more time in Colossians uh, chapter 22, as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. He takes and he, he connects our relationship, restored relationship, by the means with his presence. He has brought you into his own presence. Now, this is important when it comes to praying. It is important that we understand that, that, number one, because of his qualifying work, I'm over here now, and he sees me totally qualified to do what? To step into his presence. Now, in order for us to understand the significance of this, we have to understand how God manifested his presence back in the olden days. In the Old Testament, uh, he took Moses and he gave Moses the Mo what's called the Mosaic Law, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And in the context of the Mosaic Law, uh, God said, I want to be amongst my people. He says, so this is what we're going to do, Moses. We're going to build a tent. It's called a tabernacle. Uh, the Bible also calls it the tent of meeting. He says, because this is where I'm going to live and be amongst my people. Now, this tent, by strict instructions, was divided into three rooms. There was a large, uh, the first room that you walked into was large. It was called the outer court. Then there was another room that you went into, and it was called the holy place. And then there was one more room, and that room had a curtain, a veil in front of it. And on the other side of that was the manifested presence of the living God. It was called the most holy place. The most holy place. Why? Because that's where God lived. Now in Hebrews chapter 9, I highly recommend, maybe even today, you go home and read. Uh, you'll see the details of all this. But know this, that on the other side of that curtain, there was a piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant. If you've seen Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, or Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know what I'm talking about. You know that plot device, that uh, Ark of the Covenant that was in that movie. Well, that was an actual, that's based on an actual piece of furniture that was in that one room, the most holy place. And it is said, uh, just like uh, that uh, in, in, in the movie, there was angels on the top of that covenant, and it says that the presence of God dwelt between the wings of the cherubim. And that's where God manifested his presence. And it was called the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory 
of the presence of God. Now, here's the thing. That room was off limits. It was totally restricted. You did not walk into that room. In fact, the, the scriptures tell us that uh, one man, once a year, he was called the high priest. And in that outer court, they would sacrifice an animal and he would dip an implement into blood and he would go with fear and trembling toward that room and sprinkle blood everywhere. Sprinkle blood, sprinkle blood. Why? As an atonement for the people of Israel. And he went in beyond the curtain with fear and trembling because that's where the manifested presence of the living God was. Solomon comes along. King Solomon, he says, okay, I am going to take, I'm going to build a temple. And it's going to be based exactly on the tent. You're going to have the one room, that's the, the outer court. You're going to have the holy place. And then you're going to have the most holy place. And that is where the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God is going to be. And again, restricted, taboo, off limits. And all of this was pointing to Jesus Christ coming. And in, in, in Hebrews chapter 9, it explains that he was our high priest. He climbs up on a cross. He sheds his blood for you and for me. Why? So that you could be holy, blameless, without fault, qualified. When Jesus is up on that cross, the scriptures tell us that when he gave up his ghost, that the curtain that was in front of that one room, it split from top to bottom. It was ripped asunder like that. Historians tell us that that fabric of that curtain was woven in such a way that it was as thick as a man's fist. And yet, supernaturally, when Christ died, it was split open. Why? Oh, and here's what we have to understand because God was suddenly telling us something, that my presence is now available. My presence is now available. Look what it says in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, <clears throat> verse 19. And so, oh, listen to these words, and so, brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and living way through the curtain into the most holy place. Do you really understand what we're talking about here? It was restricted, off limits. One man, once a year, went in there with fear and trembling. Christ dies on the cross. It's open to us. It's open to us to step into oh, the most holy place where the Shekinah glory of God lives. This is a privilege, kids. Oh, my goodness. This is a privilege and an honor that's been given to us. Look at what uh, the invitation that's in uh, Hebrews 10.22. It says, so let us sow. 
let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Uh, uh, Paul, writing to the Ephesian church, puts it this way. He says in uh, chapter 3, verse 12, Because of Christ, our faith and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into the presence of God. Now the Adam part of us hides in the bushes. We try to get away from the presence of God. But when we come to Christ and we understand the blood, the blood is the means by which we can come into his presence, we suddenly come into the Christ part of us. Qualified. Fully qualified to experience him one-on-one. This is a restored relationship. And the invitation, if we have a standing invitation, on any given day, at any given moment, he stands there saying, come, come into my presence so that we can interact, so that we can enjoy communion together. There's no more curtain. And the Father is standing there because When he looks at you, he sees you as holy, blameless, and without fault. We have a standing invitation into his presence. Let me give you an illustration of of what this is like. Suppose for just a minute that your finances, your personal finances, were in total disarray. I mean, just a mess. You live from paycheck to paycheck. And on any given month, you are one foot into bankruptcy. You are this close to devastation. And one day, you get a knock on the door, and you open it up, and standing there is a very recognizable financial wizard, someone of the caliber of Dave Ramsey or uh, Warren Buffett. And he says to you, uh, listen, I have heard about your plight. You're in dire straits. Uh, However, I've looked into you, and I see promise in you. So this is what I want to do. Uh, Every morning at 6.30, I'm going to be down the road in the coffee shop. I would love for you to come down. We'll get to know one another. You can bring your questions and your your finances and and all the details. We'll look them over. We'll talk about it. I'll give you my wisdom, my guidance. In fact, every time you come down and sit with me in the coffee shop, I'm going to take of my financial resources, something from my bank account, and I'm going to deposit it into your bank account so that you have the means to uh, work toward a secure financial future. Now, how many of us in this room would say, eh, pass. (laughs) Eh, it doesn't sound like me. You would have to be a fool to pass on that kind of opportunity, wouldn't you? Ah. And yet, who is wiser, Dave Ramsey or God? Ah, who's more powerful, Warren Buffett or God Almighty? (laughs) Spoiler alert, the term Almighty is in his job description. 
And we have this wonderful opportunity. The curtain's gone. We are qualified, perfected in his eyes. And he stands there and says, please, come to me with your spiritual bankruptcy. Come into my presence so we can get to know one another and grow. I can grow you up. Bring your cares and your concerns. Bring your prayers for your your family, your spouse, your children. Your prayers for, for your church, your neighborhood, and your country. Bring them to me so that we can work this out together. And we have a standing invitation at any moment, at any given day, to enter into his presence to do just that. And yet, we pass. This is such a privilege. You realize that this isn't extended to, to, to just anybody. And yet it's extended to everybody who's in Christ. If you're in Christ, this privilege and honor has been extended to you to come in and to meet and to, with the living God, the, the most pre, preeminent person in the entire universe. I, I remember once I was sharing with a woman uh, this whole concept on what a privilege it was to be able to pray and come into the presence of the Lord. And what an honor. And she started to cry, and I said, whoa, whoa, what's wrong? And she said, oh, this is just so foreign to me. She said, you see, I was raised to believe that prayer was punishment. I said, what? And she said, yeah, if if you were bad, if you sinned, you, you had to confess that, and then you had to say these kind of prayers so many times to get back into God's good graces. And my heart withered inside. I thought, no, 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 no. When you accept Christ, this kip moves over to this kip. You're already in God's graces. You're already qualified. And when we understand this concept, then we can come into the presence of the Lord. Now, here's the thing. How do we come into the presence of the Lord? Hear me, hear me, hear me. It is the same way you came to Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is through the blood. Every time you, you go to pray, you take your shame point, whatever it may be. This kip here thinks, oh, Lord, you don't know what I said to my wife. You don't know how I treated my kid. You don't know what I saw yesterday. You don't know how angry I got on the, in traffic. And you take those shame points. And you say, I'm taking these and I'm submitting them to the blood of Christ. I may not feel holy, but I know that I know that I know, based on Scripture, that I am holy. And I'm walking into the curtain through the blood of Christ that I might experience the presence of the living God. Wow. Here's the thing. Number one, it's through the blood. Number two, we have a standing invitation. Number three, by design, entering the presence of God is intended to be an experience of delight. It is not a burden. It is not boring. I love in the book of Acts, 
when uh, Peter has preached his, his powerful sermon and all these people start coming to the, to the Lord in Acts chapter 3, and, and he's, he says, Repent, therefore, and come to the Lord that your sins might be wiped out, that you might experience the refreshing of the presence of the Lord. The refreshing times in the presence of the Lord because the curtain's gone. It is by design to be something to look forward to. I know that in the morning when I wake up, when my feet hit the ground, I am already in prayer. I am excited about meeting my Lord and my God. I pray before checking my text messages or my email or Facebook. I pray before turning on the TV to check the news or the weather. I pray before running or exercising. In fact, uh, hold on to your blessings. I pray before my first cup of coffee in the morning. What? That's crazy talk. <laughs> Why? Because I determined long ago that I have this honor and privilege to meet with the most important person in the universe, and I'm not going to pass it up for anything. And I know that on any given day, on any given day, that I, I know my, my vulnerabilities and my weaknesses. I, I know uh, my propensity for sin. And on any given day, I know that there is a battle in front of me for my soul. And I like what Rick Warren of Saddleback Church once said. I would rather meet with the general before the war than after it. Now, having said that, can you have your cup of coffee in the morning? Yes, absolutely. I did for years. Can you check your text messages and your Yes. Can you go running? Yes. Facebook? No, I think the Lord draws a line right there. <laughs> the curtain's open. The curtain is open. If we can screw this into our heart and understand that you're qualified through the blood, the same way you got saved, you can, you, every, tomorrow morning, you can meet with God and experience his glory. How? Through the blood. Could you stand? Psalm 16, verse 11 says this. Oh, in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures evermore. That's what we get to look forward to. The experience of joy in his presence. Psalm 42, verse 7. One of my favorite scriptures says this. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfall, your waves and breakers sweep over me. Oh. The presence of the Lord by design is to be an experience of great delight. Could we right now, just all of us, could we just go and meet the Lord? 
Let's go into his presence right now. Could you bow your heads? Some of us, Lord, have shame points right now where we don't feel qualified. We take those things right now, the awkward word we spoke, the thing we saw on the internet, the anger we felt in traffic and we flipped somebody off, all those things, almighty God. We take those right now and we hand them to you. We step out of the Adam part of us. We step into the Christ part of us. How? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of the blood, Lord, you have qualified us. We are holy. We are blameless. Right now, we are without fault. And because we're qualified, Lord God, we step into your presence through the veil into the most holy place. Oh, Lord, we stand here right now to experience your presence. Could you just take a moment to welcome his presence in your heart? Just take a moment to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. Oh, Lord. By the way, this is uh, next month we are going to be doing a, uh, a growth class on prayer. Basically, this is lesson number one. If you have a hunger for what it is that I'm describing to you, I, I highly recommend that you sign up uh, and come. It's going to be at 8 o'clock in the morning. I know that's that stretch, but that's like that financial advisor. I'll be down at the corner at 6.30 kind of a thing. 8 o'clock in the morning, we're going to meet and, and we're going to workshop together, walking into the presence of the Lord and how we can penetrate a new life in Christ through prayer. Amen? Amen.